Hi, this is Chris Damien, and you're listening to a recorded conversation I had recently with Christopher Dowling on conversion therapy and the Catholic Church. In the previous episode, Christopher shared the story of his Catholic upbringing as a youth group kid, a net missionary, a University of Dallas student, and a seminarian. Today, we'll be picking up where we left off. Christopher will share how he first connected with Bob Schutz, the Theology of the Body Institute, and the John Paul II Healing Center. It was here that he and others were exposed to carefully crafted sexual orientation change efforts. He also struggled in these settings, as he put it, as both a victim and a victimizer. He said that this world showed him how a mechanic is created. Christopher's experiences have a lot to teach the church. I learned a lot from my conversation with him, and I'm sure you will too. So, so kind of, so you have the seminary um, experiences, like these nine months there. So what, what came after seminary? Um, after seminary, I went even harder into the Theology of the Body Institute that was run by Christopher West. Okay. I um, had been going to this other organization for a while called the John Paul II Healing Center um, run by a man named Dr. Bob Schutz. Uh, it, it, it's called the John Paul II Healing Center. It used to be called the Theology of the Body Healing and Training Center. And I'm going to get into like super in the weeds here, but you have the Theology of the Body Institute by Christopher West that he forms over a period of years with really smart Theology of the Body promulgators like Janet Smith and Dr. Michael Waldstein, who translated Theology of the Body. And so you have a therapist that joins this Theology of the Body Institute, and his name is Dr. Bob. And he is a part of this community of this institute. And the institute is you have all these different classes and retreat experiences, and Christopher West is one of them. So Dr. Bob gets brought onto the Institute and he has one week long session. That's basically like sexual healing using the theology of the body. And what happened is, is that when people came to the theology of the body Institute for Dr. Bob's course on sexual healing, there was so much trauma and there was so much crap that came up for everybody. that They were like, Whoa, we, we cannot handle this. Like, sorry, Bob, what you're doing is great, but you're going to have to go start your own organization. And so out of that, Dr. Bob started the Theology of the Body Healing and Training Center that eventually got rebranded as the John Paul II Healing Center. And so there's a lot of similarities between the two organizations and their approaches and their thought processes and the way they approach homosexuality. But Dr. Bob is a licensed marriage family counselor with 30 years of experience. So I thought to myself, wait, this guy is perfect because he's got all the psychological experience and he's a well-renowned therapist. So that means he's smart and he's scientific. Yep. But he's also got this really great theological formation, and he's super holy and charismatic, and he's got all the gifts of the spirit. He can yep. make anybody speak in tongues or be slain in the spirit or heal from homosexuality. So he became this like idolized figure for me and very much a hero. And he's an incredible loving person. Like his family is very gentle and caring. He's very gentle and caring. Like he was always a very kind person. But I went to both of those organizations off and on, and I went to a lot of therapy on my own. And um, in between the ages of 24 and 28 years old, I spent $50,000 of my own money. Much of it was because of an inheritance that I'd gotten when my grandmother passed away. And my family certainly wasn't pleased that I like sort of squandered that very quickly on all these really, really expensive healing experiences. Yeah. Yeah. And then I remember one time I paid Dr. Bob like $3,000 or $1,500 for like a three-day healing intensive where I was just with him for like four hours a day getting therapy and praying through these things. So, um, okay, so, I, okay. I, so I spent a ton of money on all this stuff. <laughs> okay. So hold on. I just, I'm trying to like wrap my head around this. So you, okay. So, so how many years were you involved with, with the, the 
Theology of the Body Institute and the John Paul II Healing Center? I'd say like five years. Okay, so from about age 23 until about age 28. And and over these five years, you had 50 grand, and that all went to those two organizations. Those two organizations. And then when I was 28, my last ditch effort was to go to inpatient treatment. Okay. It wasn't explicitly Catholic. And at 28, I paid another 15 grand to an inpatient treatment. And that's on top of the 50 grand that you don't. Yeah. And then I went to counseling. And then I went to counseling every single week of my adult life during that period as well. Right. And those sessions are anywhere from 50 to $150 a session. Okay. Okay. Uh, Sorry. I'm just taking a moment to kind of process. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Um, So, okay. So you are, so you go to these organizations and where are they based in the DC area? Where are they based? Uh, The theology of the body Institute is based in Pennsylvania, which is where Chris, Christopher Westlake family, where he raised his family and stuff. The Theology of the Body, sorry, the John Paul II Healing Center is based in Tallahassee, Florida, where Dr. Bob lives, and that's his home parish. The place you're thinking of, I think there's like a Theology of the Body. Oh, yeah. Something in D.C. Something, something. Yeah. University of America. There is also that. Yeah. So, okay. So, so you're, so you first, so you are researching, you're trying to make sense of all this stuff. You come across Dr. Bob. And you're like, this is great. I need to do this. What, what's your first in? What was the first thing that you did with either him or the Theology of the Body Institute? Do you remember? Yeah, like I'm, I'm going super deep diving here because one of my best friends, oh my gosh. I'm like, do I pause this and go off the record with you? So one of my best friends <laughs> who introduced me to Theology of the Body that I met at Catholic summer camp introduced me to the John Paulson Healing Center and introduced me to Dr. Bob. He's basically Dr. Bob's prodigy. He is a full-time therapist now. He works at one of the largest campus ministries in America, and he is doing what Dr. Bob does. He's a therapist, but he works in ministry, and he does prayer healing with all these students. And he had a transformational experience, this this friend of mine from Dr. Bob, and he eventually like became sort of like an apprenticeship under Dr. Bob. But that friend introduced me to it. He was introduced to it by like his spiritual director and priest best friend who eventually had to leave ministry because he was in a consenting sexual relationship with an adult. They didn't say okay. if it was male or female. Okay. So what I keep finding is a lot of the people that were the most passionate in this movement that introduced me to this movement are in counseling or mental health themselves um, are priests. But a lot of us that showed up and paid all this money to go to the theology of the body Institute and the theology of body healing center had like immense sexual trauma and, or were queer. Yeah. Okay. And we were just like desperately trying to fix it. And over the years, like, you know, a lot of us have fallen away from the faith. Many people acted out against their vows, whether it was in marriage or, or to the church, you know, in yeah. consecrated life. Yeah. Yeah. So these are, uh, these are people that you knew who like went through these programs as well. Yeah. 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 The passionate promulgators of these things, you know, were often people like me. Oh my gosh. The amount of books, I would just buy these books in bulk y'all. Like I would uh, like, Oh, let me get Christopher West, uh, fill these hearts. I'd buy like five copies on Amazon. I'd hand them out to all my friends. I, I, I'm probably personally responsible for probably 30 of my friends having gone to one of these retreats. Okay. I mean, even one of the friends I was mentoring, mentoring, I, you know, had feelings for this guy too. I remember paying out of pocket, like $1,500 for him to come because I was just so certain that this was going to help him. You know, yeah. I paid for my mom to come on a retreat one time. Yeah. That was some shit. Um, I just, yeah, like I invested so much for myself and other people. I was such an intense evangelizer of this stuff. Yeah. So, okay. So, t- so talk to me about um, your kind of like 
early experiences in this world? What, what was that? I loved it. I mean, it was just, in so many ways, it was like a dream come true. Like I, my personality, if anybody's an Enneagram person, my Enneagram <laughs> number is seven, which for those of you that aren't, all that means is I love adventure. I love newness. I love traveling, right? Um, I'm impulsive. And so the idea of going to Florida for a whole week with a bunch of other super spiritual people and having hours of worship and prayer and adoration and confession. And, you know, like it was a very like uh, exciting atmosphere, um, full of the spirit, full of love, full of gentleness. It was very, very affectionate. And I just like crave affection. So that like, that was very much a hallmark of the experience that I loved so much. Yeah. And I, I remember one time my friend told me, he's like, they just love so well, you know? And that's just what I want to say is like, these are all good people. Like I, I don't buy into the binary that people that are anti-gay are hateful um, because my experience was not that I received hate. My experience is I received a shit ton of misguided love. <laughs> you know, it was just great affirmation, great love, kindness, affirmation of me, but just a strong belief that like, that, you know, I, 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 I could pray the gay way where they could pray the gay way. We could pray the gay way. Yeah. you know so okay so when you talk about because i think that people will probably listen and they're going to hear you say you know i got a lot of affirmation uh but th- at the same time i mean you're clearly not and maybe we'll get some more into this but you're clearly not being affirmed like as a gay person or being affirmed in like these same-sex desires or what have you so what what, what does when you say you you were very affirmed what does affirmation mean there yeah i mean it's really nuanced because while I was being unaffirmed, I bought into the mentality. So at the time it felt like affirmation, right? Like at the time, it's not saying I want to be gay. Now, now that I'm out openly gay, I I sure as hell feel that lack of affirmation from them because they're telling me that I'm politicizing the issue and that I'm acting out of my woundedness by coming on this podcast and all this bullshit. I feel the unaffirmation now, but at the time I didn't want to be gay. At the time I fully believed that my sexuality can be healed. I fully. And so a lot of that was rooted in like my lack of masculine identity, my, um, you know, my feelings of inadequacy, like my sexual trauma and all the people that had hurt me and that I had hurt, you know, through like sexual experiences and misdeeds and heartbreak. So there was a lot of pain. And so that, that's kind of what I mean is like at the time, my experience was total affirmation. It's only in retrospect that I could see that a whole part of me was being rejected, but it definitely didn't feel that way at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like your experience of them is not, you know, they, they weren't malicious, you know, like they were kind of like nice people that kind of thought that they were genuinely helping you. Is that how you'd characterize them? Yeah. I mean, like how many millions and billions of dollars are spent on mission trips in Africa where you go with medical aid and all of these things. And you only feel I realize down the road that maybe it was harming them in a certain way, or it wasn't fully helping them. I mean, this is a rough, yeah. you know, translation of it, but like, oh my gosh, I mean, this is a good one. Like, think about medical care back in the day, like the kind of stuff we would do to people that had diseases or mm. I don't know if you're a medical person, but what are the, some of the terrible treatments that we used to do with people in the 1800s? What's a ridiculous one? Like leeches? Yeah. 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 Right? yeah. No, that was the thing. Yeah. So you had yeah. these doctors that were like dedicated to savings lives that all they wanted to do is make people better. And the things that they would do because they didn't understand the human person and biology would actually kill those people. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, and now you look back and you're like, why the hell would you put leeches in people? You know, yeah. like, yeah. 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 So, okay. So, so tell me about kind of the like therapy that you experienced in that world. Like what, 
you know, how were you receiving these messages? How were you processing them in that world? What were you getting from them? So what made it all conversion therapy and, and sort of change efforts was the storyline, the narrative that I'm gay because of these traumas and these wounds. And if I go to enough counseling and healing, then I will be straight or that I could be celibate. Beyond that, a lot of the therapy that I was doing was like tried and true methods of therapy that like people of all political or religious persuasions will use. So I'll just throw a lot of any mental health professionals listening to this or people that have done a lot of therapy. I did cognitive behavioral therapy. I did internal family systems known as IFS model. I did EMDR, which is a really incredible trauma reprocessing healing that people are starting to use worldwide for like, you know, um, people with PTSD and, and, uh, you know, war trauma or, you know, all kinds of things I did. Uh, yeah, I did like gestalt therapy, all these, I mean, eventually I may want to be a therapist because I geek out on this stuff, but I did all of these things that are sort of tried and true methods that are not illegal, that licensed yep. professionals use yep. to heal what were legitimate traumas, hmm. right? Like times in my life where I felt rejected by family, um, sexual experiences that I had where I felt a ton of shame you know, like, uh, over overdoses of pornography through my adolescence, um, you know, very, various times where I would say that they were traumatic experiences. And so I kind of say tongue in cheek that like, you know, I'm no more straight than I ever was, but I definitely did heal a lot of my like daddy issues. You know, I definitely (laughs) healed through a lot of trauma in my family and I'm actually really close with them to this day. And I think I have a pretty great relationship with them, all things considered. And I could owe a lot of that to these therapies. They just didn't make me any more attracted to women and didn't give me any more capacity to be celibate, you know, um, to live the Catholic church's teaching. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I think, you know, people hear that. And and I think that, you know, one response from some people would be like, well, but isn't that great? You know, shouldn't they be doing this stuff if if that's what you come away with? You know, I mean, what, I mean, how do you, how do you respond to that? How do you kind of talk about the other side of it? I just think a lot of nuance, right. And like hearing every individual's personal experience. Um, when I was Orthodox conservative, like this idea of personal experience, we would make fun of like, Oh, your truth. You know, we would make fun of it as a, a subjectivity. So what I would say is like, it really depends on the person's personal experience. I experienced a lot of goodness in these things that I was doing, but my life was continually more and more and more toxic in the area of my sexuality. When I finally switched flipped if if, so to speak and i began to embrace my sexuality it's not like i ditched all of the progress that i'd made in all these other areas of my life yeah and ironically the more i got healed of a lot of these areas in my life where i felt unloved or where i was insecure or where my affections were disordered the more healing i got the more it actually allowed me to integrate my love for men and made me more gay oh (laughs) yeah interesting yeah yeah you know yeah. So, I mean, but when you talk about, so during this time period where you're doing this therapy, you're going on these retreats, you say that, you know, there was this kind of progression of like things becoming more toxic as it relates to your sexuality. What, what does that mean? So there's this insidious narrative that my same-sex attraction is exacerbated by a lack of masculine affection. You are, you, you have same sex attraction because you, there is a deficit in you of masculine affection. And if you just get enough masculine affection, then, then, then you'll sort of like fill your cup enough that you won't act out anymore sexually, that your erotic desire will be integrated, that you won't get turned on so much around guys and and aroused. And that's just like, that's, it's, that's toxic because what ended up happening is I would get closer and closer to straight guys 
or God forbid one of them ended up being gay too. Yeah. And I would get closer and closer with like different forms of male affection, like hugging or back rubs or all these things. Yeah. And I would get extremely aroused or I'd fall in love or I'd get, you know, um, super attached and codependent, just desperately thinking that like, if I got enough of this, then I would be better. And it made yeah. it that much worse. I try to explain this to people that identify as straight. I'm like, let me talk as a like, bro, imagine if you spent all your time with all these women and like you couldn't marry any of them and you were just told like, oh, that's okay. You can't marry them. Just spend more time with all these women. And the more time you spend with them, the less you'll want to marry them. Yeah. You yeah, tell any yeah. straight person that they're like, wait, you're telling me the more time I spend with women, the less I'll want to be intimate with them. That doesn't make sense. Yeah, but that's yeah. like what we were fed. Yeah, it kind of, you know, it kind of makes me think of, so there's this book, uh, it's called, I think, That Famous Fig Leaf by Chad Thompson, and Christopher West actually he endorses the book, I think he has a blurb for it, um, but in the book, you know, Thompson talks about how, you know, like, kind of one of the ways to kind of, like, heal is for men to spend more time naked together, so he kind of, yeah. like, recommends doing that stuff. I mean, is, is that the type of messages that you were kind of getting at that time? I was getting the Catholic politically educated correct version of that, so what I will say is, like, around the PhDs and people with masters that I hung out with and priests, like it yeah. wasn't that crude um, yeah. to say like, Oh, let's hang out together naked. Like when you watch boy erased, you see that like, you know, the guy that ran the whole camp in this conversion therapy camp, like didn't have any education. So the crude versions is what you're saying. Like let's get naked together. Um, like practice, like masculine postures, play sports together. Yeah. It, yeah. it was a much more politically uh, astute politically correct, like sort of educationally astute version of that, yeah. but it was essentially the same kind of stuff. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know when, when, when you kind of describe that to me, this kind of like encouragement of like seeking out more and more male affection and kind of, you know, if you are not straight, what you need is more affection from other men. You know, I mean, to me, like that immediately brings to mind Cardinal McCarrick and yeah. kind of like some of these like really bizarre relationships. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, I experienced that firsthand. I was a victim of it and a victimizer of it. Just being really honest. It was never a, it was never a, a legal thing, right? Like these were peers of mine. Um, you know, yeah. I was an adult and I was with another adult. Yeah. It would be like long hugs, especially with charismatic prayer. It would be like intimate charismatic prayer. Mm. I put my arms on them. Like I'd, yeah. you know, I'd, I'd be placing my hand on their shoulder. Um, there's this thing called like, I don't know, like you talk about it a little bit, Chris, in your, your, your blog post, but like, sculpting or like intimate prayer postures where you have a deficit in some form of physical affection. And so in a very prayerful, safe way, quote unquote, you would try to like heal these deficits by getting into those intimate physical postures of hugging or caressing or back rubs or whatever. And you would pray yeah. for Jesus to heal that. Um, and you're and doing would... this on these retreats. These are at the like yeah and, I, and yeah yes some yeah and and then i would go rogue right like i would go rogue oh, and do sure. this with like friends of mine oh, you know okay. yeah. um very toxic i mean i look back with such like oh it's just like i i feel terrible about it right but like yeah i was a good guy like i only wanted goodness for other people like i wasn't you know yeah. and what you were doing, motivated. what you were doing was you were doing the things that these people told you would be good for you and other people to do Yes. Yeah. 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 Or yeah. I made up in my mind after reading enough and putting two and two together. Right. I definitely felt like I didn't want to get busted or they think I was doing it wrong, but yeah, there was a lot of that and I'd get aroused like in some of these and then I'd feel yeah. terrible and, you know, mm -hmm. but I, I picked all these ideas up somewhere. Right. Um, and it was just all these little 
talks and blogs and conversations and confessions and therapy appointments, you know, little by little really is where I piece it together. A lot of, a lot of times you think it's like this neat and tidy script. It was almost like all these puzzle pieces together that I try to put in this picture of all these places that I got these narratives that led me to those toxic sort of activities and experiences. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So gosh. Okay. And then all at the same time, you're also, you, you also did kind of like individual therapy as well during this period. Yeah. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Just like one-on-one traditional talk therapy that, yeah. And now I I don't know. I I know this is like, I'm, I'm the guest and you're kind of interviewing me, but (laughs) a lot, a lot of other guys that you've talked to, like these are similar experiences, right? This is not the first time you're hearing this. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you know, I would say that, um, you know, in terms of like large institutional level, you know, things like these like centers and these institutes doing these things in this way, you know, I'd say in a lot of the Catholic world, that's a little unusual in the evangelical world, not at all unusual. Um, But I mean, I would definitely say that in terms of kind of like these narratives, encouraging to do these types of things, I, you know, that that I think is like very common in the Catholic world, maybe a little less so now than it used to be, but I've heard, yeah, narratives just like that from, from other people as well. Yeah. 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 Wow. Okay. So, so during this period, you're, you're also, is that right? You're also being given, so you're consistently being, being given this narrative about yourself, about where these attractions come from, you know, were there ever times when you like challenge that narrative or question it in in this world i'd say yeah from so about age 24 25 26 is really where these cracks in the fault lines and the rift started getting greater and greater right like i you know i i get heartbroken because i fell in love with one more straight guy that felt enmeshed and overwhelmed and couldn't meet my emotional needs and then i'm heartbroken right i had one more hookup right by then like you know uh you know, mobile apps are available to try to like, you know, have sexual encounters, right? Like, so like there were these fault lines that were sort of cracking more and more by about 25, 26, 27. And so at the time I was living in Austin, Texas, I was working full-time in the church in Catholic church fundraising. And I was well-known in all the young adult Catholic circles. I really say it like as a joke now, because it's kind of ridiculous in retrospect, but like people in Austin knew my name, like, oh, Chris Dowling, like I ran a Catholic house and we would have parties once a week and we'd have 30 Catholics at our party. And I was giving talks and I was just like, I was living this sort of on the surface level, ideal Catholic life as a single man. Like, oh, you can't be a priest. Okay, fine. You can't be married to a woman. Okay, fine. Maybe you could live the single celibate life. Right. And so all over the country, there are these like, individuals that are living these seemingly heroic lives of like singlehood in the church as a vocation and so on the surface like i was doing that um but the fault lines were even though i was doing all that on the surface like i was either hooking up or having bouts of anxiety or depression um and again just terrified it was all going to come crumbling down and then you know finally i think my desire for integration like finally won over so i was like okay maybe or really it was process of elimination discernment it's like i've tried everything else right like i've spent so much money and my last ditch ditch effort was to go to treatment for six weeks and it was finally when i went to treatment that like i was like i've done everything i can what if yeah what if i finally do this what if i finally try to be in relationship with another man? What if I actually let myself think that maybe this is possible and maybe this is okay. And maybe this is the best path for me. Um, And it was really at that rock bottom after 
so many heartbreaks of myself and other people and all, all that I had hurt in the sort of wreckage of a decade of these attempts that I was finally like, okay, like I'm, I'm done. Like I, I, I don't care if it's wrong. You know, a lot of people think that I'm on the wrong path and we're sort of making a 30 year gamble that eventually I'm going to turn back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And really in, in the narratives that you read and sort of the pop culture of the Catholic church, you have a lot of these guys in their forties and fifties that live these like gay lifestyles, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And then they had yeah. a big conversion of the faith and then they turned back to God and became celibate. I'm like, well, it helps that your 15 year libido slow down, but whatever. And I mean, so, I think uh, a lot about like Mario Berkner, who like, I mean, Christopher West gets book book good news about, I think like good news about sex and marriage, where yep. you know he talks about like relying on this guy that healed his same sex attractions and got married and had this ministry. And then in 2018, it turns out everything breaks down. This guy that like West put so much of his faith in ended up was kind of living this like double life got divorced ended up being kicked out of his ministry so i mean yeah there that would have been me yeah i mean remember talking when i was a youth minister i remember i i had gotten really close to this family that i had stayed friends with after i quit youth ministry when i was in austin and i really got to know both parents and in this family the husband of this family in my youth ministry um these volunteers the husband's dad ended up coming out as gay years later. And it was super traumatic for the family because they were very, you know, well-to-do Catholic family and, and a very like conservative culture and, and all this stuff. Um, and I remember like distinctly in the laundry room with him, we were doing like man-to-man, like we were cleaning our Yeti mugs out and talking about like, you know, dad, man stuff. And in the laundry room, all the kids and the mom are in the other room. And I, I really put him on the spot. And um, because I was just terrified that I was going to end up married to a woman or in the Catholic church as a priest for years and years, and it was all going to come crumbling down. And I finally started listening for those stories and looking for them. And I just heard story after story after story. And that's the thing, like you're taught not to hear these stories. You're taught to ignore these stories. You're, you know, and then once you, once it finally cracks and you start listening to their stories, one after another, after another, after another, you know, yeah. yeah. That vastly outnumber the stories of people that have been healed of their same sex attraction. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So you can hear my dog in the background. He's very yeah. excited right now. And I'll put a plug real quick. I, 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 I'm really involved in an LGBTQ Christian nonprofit that fights yeah. conversion therapy. And I would tell people if they want to know these stories and compare the two, there are two websites. There is changedmovement.org that you can go to and changemovement.org is a collection of stories of people who have turned from the gay life. They're, they're one, hashtag once gay, which is just a rebranding of hashtag X gay. You go to changemovement.org. And if you watch Pray Away, the film, the, the movement they highlight in the film is this organization, changemovement.org. Okay. Yeah. If you go yeah. to unchangedmovement.org, that is the organization that I work for, which is literally the opposite. We just rip off all their branding and we say, oh, you have stories of people that were healed from their same-sex attraction. We have a shit ton more stories of people that have gone through conversion therapy that desperately tried to live a life of so-called integration that finally questioned that and then that are now living integrated. And it's like, we have like 10 times the amount of stories that they have. And what you'll hear in these stories of the change movement, these people converted maybe a year or two ago. They had some life traumatic experience that usually involved drugs or alcohol, right? Like they, and, and when you hear their story, not a lot of them have like lived a faithful life, like a few of them, maybe one or two, but a lot of them are still very much in, in process. 
And then if you watch Prey Away, you find out that, yeah, like this Bergman guy, 10, 20 years later, it all falls apart. And what you'll read in the unchanged stories that that I'm telling you about of like LGBT people that embrace their identity and their sexuality and all these things, you'll hear that they're talking about decades of, of this, you know? Um, So, yeah. Yeah. So kind of uh, getting back to kind of the, 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 the narrative that we're kind of just piecing together here. So you, you mentioned how you kind of getting to a point where like the cracks are starting to come apart in like how you view yourself, how you're approaching these things, you know, did you ever bring those cracks either to like therapy or to like any of these other forums that you're still in when you're going through this, this process? Yeah. Um, yeah. I brought them up to therapy and, and eventually I, I, you know, I changed to a progressive therapist, but yeah, there were a couple, like I'll tell two stories. One of them was I distinctly remember giving up on celibacy one day. It's <laughs> like, I can't do this. I can't do yeah. this single one. And I was like, I'm going to date. And I, and I, and I had this experiment and I joined two dating websites one of them was Catholic match and I made a Catholic match profile, which is like straight, right? Like for yeah, women. Yeah. yeah. And of course you log on. And I'm like, Oh my God, these are all the girls that I've known for years that I like to see at all like the young Catholic professionals event. Yeah. And then I made a Catholic match and I made a match.com and I paid the money and I made a gay dating profile. Oh, okay. And I will tell you, it was impossible for me to engage on Catholic match. My, like my heart's affection just were not there. I was not oriented towards Catholic match to see all these girls. And I was like yeah. off to the races on match.com. Yeah. I say off to the races, meaning like talking to guys. And it was the first time I was like, oh my gosh, I'm actually like dating guys. Yeah. And so I dated a guy for about a month and a half. In retrospect, I just didn't like the guy. But at the time, because I wasn't fulfilled after a couple of dates and it was just not working for me, I was yeah. like, I'm going to go back to celibacy, you know? Um, and then, and then well, this is at 28 years old. I ended up getting into a relationship again with the girl that I had been best friends with for years and I had dated in college. And that was very painful. And I, I don't even know how much I'm going to get into it because this is not just my story. This is another person's story. But what I will say that is so frustrating about that is that I remember my therapist. I had had this therapist for years. I had confessed all of my sexual misdeeds, all of my affections for men, my sort of lack of integration for and this is outside of the like John Paul II Healing Center. This is like someone else. Yeah, he's a, he's a licensed professional counselor. Everybody yeah. in Austin thinks he's the shit, and all the okay. deacons go to him. And so, kind of like a Catholic therapy. therapist. Oh, he's the guy. Yeah. Okay, he's yeah. the guy, okay. right? Sure. Um, but him and I both went to the John Paul II Healing Center and Theology of the Body Institute. We both have the same books on our shelves. That's why he was this guy was my bro. Like we connected okay. immediately. So yeah, he wasn't a conversion therapist, but like he had all the same books I did. He knew all the same people. When I told him that I was going to get in a relationship with my ex-girlfriend, he lined right up, no questions asked, like fully bought in and was so excited for me because he thought I was taking a huge step into my healing. I'm like, in retrospect, like after all these years and all the shit that I was going through, like he didn't see a problem with that, Yeah, yeah you know, yeah. Um, and just right away dove in with me, you know, just and like, you were so... seeing him for therapy. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I had been going to therapy probably four years to him at this point, um, every single week, you know, and he was like, yes, this is your healing date, this girl, you know, Um, and the casualty of that is, is, you know, the hurt and pain that I had caused, you know, um, this important person in my life, who's just incredible. Um, so generous and yeah, it just, it sucks, you know? Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's a, another thing that I've heard from a lot of guys who've gone through this experience is just, you know, like on the one hand, you know, there is this experience of being kind of a victim to a lie that was imposed upon you and your insecurities and vulnerabilities were taken advantage of by these people with an ideology. And on the one hand, you are hurt in this, but then they all have stories about the secondhand hurt that they gave to other people and just, yeah, you know, this, yeah trying to work through healing both as someone who has hurt but then also the healing as someone who hurt people too yes i would say my experience in all those 10 years of trauma the the most painful parts is not me as a victim it was me as a victimizer it was like me as like the people that i know that i had hurt the people that i had pursued that i shouldn't have pursued went too far with this person hurt this person you know um and so that like that's very much how i relate which is why the abuse scandal of the church just drives me mad because I could really relate. Like I, I felt like I had that, that sort of template, if that makes sense. And yeah. spoiler alert, right? Like I'm 32. I've been dating a guy. We have an incredible relationship. I still go to counseling. <laughs> we have a couple of therapists, like, Oh, uh, so much of this stuff is taken care of now. Like yeah, it just, yeah. it does not creep up on a daily basis. Like yeah. I don't, I don't get in weird toxic relationships with dudes in my life. Cause I'm like, Oh, I'm gay. I have a crush on this guy, or I think he's cute. Yeah. Like we should probably have distance because I'm dating somebody. Like yeah. I now approach relationships and friendships like straight people do, yeah. you know, yeah. more so, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. I, I, you know, hopefully in many ways treat relationships, especially with gay guys, but straight guys too, the same way that a straight man who's in a relationship with a woman would treat women, you know, like straight guys that are married and dating women. Don't just go hang out with other women all the time, one-on-one. So yeah, like go figure like so much of my, boundaries and emotional maturity was just due to like in a lot of ways treating my treating myself and my affections like a straight person does yeah so okay so let's kind of like get into that so okay so you have this this whole experience the cracks are kind of starting to like grow and then you're out or i mean what 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 was the transition out of that world like what what caused it was it like a big event gradual so um so the, the cracks were starting to come 25 to you know, 28 years old is when I started like kind of dating guys, kind of dating girls. And then I went into a relationship with the girl that I dated off and on for years, who was a close friend of mine. And that's really when I was like, this is not working. And so then I went to treatment and my six weeks of treatment were, there's a lot of layers to it, but a lot of it was, I have all the sexual trauma. I'm a sex addict. And if I could finally go get enough healing from all the traumas in my life, then I could be in this relationship. And that's when I finally... And this was not a Catholic uh, inpatient treatment center. This was just a, it's a very good place. Uh, And when I went there, it was not a bunch of liberal therapists with liberal agenda that told me I should come out, right? It was people that actually like pretty much stayed away from my thought process on my own sexuality. Like they mostly were concerned with healing, helping me heal traumas. It was all the stuff that I had been doing just without the thought that I would change my sexuality, if that makes sense. Yeah. It was very familiar to me going to this treatment center and healing through a lot of the traumas of my past yeah. and dysfunctions of my past, but it wasn't like, so that you could be straight. It was so that you could be healed. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, there's a kind of like a big irony there because, you know, this whole time you're talking about these Catholic organizations, Catholic therapists, where, you know, they're obviously using good clinical practice yeah. in a lot of ways. But at the same time, there's this kind of like constant push to fulfill a certain narrative and to make certain decisions about your life and identify yourself in a certain way, you know, and then you go to this, I'm assuming it's a secular treatment center. 
Yep. And, you know, they're using like the clinical methods. But then the ironic thing here is they're not driving your decision making or kind of like yeah. pushing a direction. Is, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't leave my faith behind. I brought my guitar. I sang praise and worship the whole time. I tried to hang out with some of the Catholics. It wasn't that like I threw my faith away. Like I was, yeah. you know, desperately praying through all of this. Um, and it was a very, you know, but all the voices went away. Right. Like, and it was just me. There was a lot of solitude time. And a, just a ton of time to read. And that's when I finally got on Amazon and I I, I ordered my first books on um, sort of the other side, right? Like, and these are books that are direct contradiction to ex-gay narratives. These are books of the good evangelical boy that had a great relationship with his daddy, right? Like had a really, really healthy, integrated family, but he's gay. Yeah, so, yeah. so he shows up at his first ex-gay retreat to be brainwashed that he has all this trauma in his life. And that's why he's gay. And the guy's like, I don't have that trauma. And they were like, well, maybe let's, let's find out where it came from. And because I had all that trauma, I never questioned the narrative. And then finally I was like, Oh, there are all these other people that didn't have any of the trauma that I had that are like totally gay, you know? Um, And it's just the way they've always been. And those are the books that I started reading that really crumbled. And at the time I was in treatment, I, a best friend that I had at the time, him and I were just really, really close friends. And he ended up coming out really at the same time as me and him and I never dated. We never had any physical sexual experiences, any sort of thing like that. We never muddied the water, but I adored him. I was in love with him. He was super Catholic. I was super Catholic and he came out and I came out and he realized I wasn't his type. (laughs) And so he's like, Oh, I'm, I'm actually gay and I've been dating and I realize you're not my type. And I was devastated. And oh, yeah. yeah. But that experience was also like the nail in the coffin of this sort of narrative that I had had where I was like, oh, I'm in love with this guy, but I really want good things. Like I don't, I, let, me, let me bring a little bit more nuance. With this friend, I didn't have any sexual experiences. We didn't act out on any of our romantic things. So it wasn't sort of tarnished, so to speak, mm-hmm. with the sorts of things every other friendship I felt like was tarnished with. There wasn't, it wasn't infused with lust. Yeah. And so every other relationship, I always, every other friendship with guys, I always had all this shame mm-hmm. because there was always a sexual component, whether it was lust or whatever. Yeah. And so yeah. this one was finally pure enough that it like passed the litmus test, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. um, in my life where I was like, I just want to go to church with this guy and like have kids <laughs> and like live the same life I would have lived had I worked in ministry or priesthood the rest of my life, just not mm-hmm. celibate. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah. Hmm. yeah. That was at age 28. I mean, that was, that was right after treatment. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so then what, what, what's the, the path that you kind of took from there? Like, where, where did you go? Where, how did you get there? Best four years of my freaking life, you know, <laughs> and all the Catholics that think that I'm on my way to hell and that I'm living an unintegrated life. Yeah. Okay, fine. We'll just keep our bet in our wager and call me when I'm 50 and let's see, you know, <laughs> um, I'm real sarcastic now because now, like I said before, now is when I'm experiencing a lack of affirmation from all those people. Now I'm experiencing the rejection, mm. you know, They'll, and a lot of these people like dearly love me and they would listen to this podcast and cry, you know, you know, authentic tears of love and, and grief for me. Yeah. Um, a couple of them, you know, and others would just tell me I've been brainwashed by the liberal agenda. And okay, fine. They could think that, but yeah. you know, yeah. I'm not living a toxic life anymore. So like, I don't know, like the proof is in the pudding and in, in a much more religious way, I would say like the fruits of the spirit are emanating from my life, hmm. joy, peace, righteousness, self-control, you know, like all these all these things that I learned for so long, like I could test my life against the fruits of the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, so I mean, one change that you kind of mentioned was just, you know, this, like, world, these communities that you've gotten affirmation from, like, one big change is that the affirmation doesn't come from there anymore. You know, I mean, how else has your relationship changed to, like, Catholicism, the church, your faith? What does that look like? Um, With these people in my life that love me so dearly, I'm still friends with some of them. Um, And what's hard is the friendship in a lot of ways I experience is now a one-way friendship. And what I mean by that is I could talk with them and I'm super excited that they're getting married to the Catholic girl, their dreams, and they're going to have four kids and, you know, use natural flaming planting, live on a cul-de-sac and grow their own food and like live out, you know, all the papal encyclicals. And I'm genuinely excited for them. And I, and I still know all of that culture. And I, I think yeah. there's something beautiful about it. And so when I catch up with these friends or when I talk with them, you know, I feel like I could stand if I were groomsmen in the wedding of a best friend that's living that life, I could stand as a groomsman and say, I'm going to support you because this seems like it's healthy for you. This seems like it's integrated for you, but they cannot reciprocate that for me. So I have this big boundary in my life where it's like, Oh, what's new in your life. And I'm like, I mean, the things that bring me the greatest joy, right. Which is like my partner and the life that we lead and, 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 and the way that I experiencing my liberal faith and religion, I, I, I hold that back because I don't want to just cause them grief. Um, and so I was talking with one of my friends today who is recently divorced. She's a woman and recently divorced and experiences the same thing because she's lived, chosen a different life. Um, we feel like we can be supportive of our Catholic friends, but they, their, their, their ethics won't allow them to be supportive of me. Um, and I, I'm not saying this is a judgment. I'm just explaining the grief yeah. of the I mean, situation. It's just the reality. I think you're just describing yeah. what the situation is. Yeah. 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 And I don't experience hate from them. I don't experience bigotry. You know, again, that's why this sort of binary of like, you know, love is love and don't hate and, you know, uh, homophobia is, is sort of this uh, monochromatic experience. It's just not, you know, <laughs> I experience homophobia in so many different subtle ways that are coming from a genuine place of love from people that really care about me and that, that are incredibly kind. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, like you had this change, like that's one of the harder things, right? Um, but I mean, what's, what have you been able to let go of? Like, what does what does kind of like the difference in terms of freedom and integration and happiness look like in this world versus the old world? Yeah, I mean, I, I devoted so much emotional, spiritual, psychic energy, right, to the shame that I was experiencing in my sexuality and the pain and the healing. And I mean, just practical resources, time and money on therapy and, and yeah. traveling, all these things that, that I now have as bandwidth to help in other ways, right? And so, so much of my, my, my life, like prayer life and, and, you know, helping people that are experiencing homelessness and living out the, the Beatitudes and, and the acts of mercy. And a lot of these things are still so prevalent in my life. Um, you know, on Thursday, my friends and I are going to go to a Catholic charities fundraiser mm. and yeah, I'm going to bring my partner and we're going to be gay. And a lot of people are going to be like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, yeah. Can I still like support Catholic charities and be excited for the, so much of the work that they're doing for the poor and the immigrant yeah. and the marginalized? Yeah. Um, there, there's still some issues. Like I could never work for them because I would have to get fired because of my lifestyle, you know? Yeah. Um, but the, I, I guess that's my point. Like so much of the way that I used to express my faith, I still, I still express. It, it did take a while. Like I buried a lot of the religious icons and the crucifix and there was some pain and grief involved in that. And slowly it's a lot of it start to come back, you know? Um, So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a common experience too. I think for a lot of people who have gone through a lot of religious trauma, 
um, you know, they kind of have to put everything away for a time to process. And then later on can kind of pull things out. And I don't think that's unusual. So, you know, thinking about, you know, the people who kind of went through that conversion therapy, ex-gay, JP2, like Healing Center Theology of the Body Institute world, um, you know, you mentioned that kind of a number of them who went through that with you, you know, are no longer Catholic or have, um, you know, like acted out sexually or ended up having a lot more harm. You know, obviously everyone, each person's story is different and unique to them. But I mean, kind of now that you're out of that for a few years, but you've also known a lot of people, like what are some of the trajectories that people who've gone through that world like you have had? So I would say it's the lifestyle, um, not the lifestyle, the community, this, this spiritual community that, that exists within these communities. It's almost like it's so intense and it's so uh, ideologically tight that it's this inevitable you either get more and more and more intense until you you just go like more and more cut off from the rest of the world or like you break completely right you can't you can't really be sort of involved in these organizations so i would just say the direct trajectory is that like you either sort of have to cut off more and more of the world and other ideologies and other influences and dive in more and more and more to sustain it or like me it's like a complete break so I'd say like, that's a, tra- that's a trajectory, right? A lot of the same people that were involved back in the day are probably still very much involved. So that's one, one, one thing. I mean, I, I can't, you know, I can't speak of too many other people. I will say for me that my sort of acting out and, and continual traumas of like the life's like sort of living this duplicitous life, this closeted life yeah. Yeah. for me, it was so intense that it couldn't hold. I'd say there's for more people, like some, some gay men don't experience there's sexual repression and, and sexual acting out. They experience an anxiety and depression. Um, some of them yep. experience an alcoholism, right? Like it comes out sideways in other ways. Mine came out in an explicitly sexual way, but for other people, it doesn't. And so they're able to hold for much longer in a holding pattern in a way that I wasn't able to. Yeah. Um, you know, I know Catholic priests who are trying to figure out if they want to leave the priesthood and come out as gay and date now, because all the yeah. while they were in seminary and their early priesthood, it wasn't an issue. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. whereas I was like, I can't, I know I can't do this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, so, a lot of these narratives are so prevalent in seminaries, you know, like, yeah, some of the things I've been supporting recently is just the director of psychological services at the major seminary for the Archdiocese of New York. He's a former North member, you know, yeah. and, and like, and Bob Schutz had given workshops at the seminary in, in, in the Twin Cities for many years. So. I mean, but I, like I was in that and I loved that. Like I know yeah. the influences that Dr. Bob has on bishops that on the Institute Prefleet Formation on seminaries. And I was so excited because it was like a franchise model. It's like, oh, we're going to the Diocese of Minneapolis, St. Paul. Oh, we're going yeah. to the Diocese of Austin. Oh, the Diocese of Phoenix just let us in. You know, I was like cheering on the sort of franchise or sort of like expansion model of this, you know, of this, um, you know, and Christopher West, like he's not as popular as he used to be, but he affected an entire generation, right? Like he was on yeah. 2020. Right. Like the amount of books he read, he, he, I I was involved with him when he was peak and, you know, these people go and somebody else is going to come up in their place. Somebody else that's probably white, probably young and middle-class probably speaks pretty well. Right. I mean, this is me being even more jaded. Like you just need somebody to pick up the mic that, that has the right demographic cultural uh, expressions. That's attractive to people. And then they're going to get popular, you know? Yeah, because people want, I mean, that's the thing, you know, like people like you, I think me at a younger age want something like that. 
and are kind of looking for like the fix so we can live this idealized Catholic lifestyle that we've convinced ourselves we need in order to be happy and holy. Yeah. yeah and, and behind a lot of those narratives, they're capitalistic as shit. <laughs> you know, like behind those narratives are book sales and YouTube views and sponsorships and wealthy donors. And like, that's, that's the way that this stuff gets promulgated, right? Like, uh, you know, um, and there's a different way of looking at that, right? Like the way I viewed it before is, you know, the Catholic church is promulgating what is true, truth, goodness, and beauty. And people are investing in that philanthropic mission and doing it from a pure place. But then I look at it now that I'm on the outside and I'm like, I mean, I see the same thing happening in the Protestant church or the political left or the political right. Like you see the same kind of mechanizations happening, you know? around what makes these ideas so powerful and potent and popular yeah yeah you know and you know what so, so you know i mean obviously read um the america magazine article where you'd kind of like shared some of your story and, and you know one of the thing, really interesting things that i kind of noticed in it was you know there's this kind of um response back from dr bob i don't know if you, i mean have you had much interaction with him since you've kind of like come out on the other side? Yeah. So let me, yeah, here's some real insight. Yeah. Insider stuff is that I did this interview on American magazine and I'm not going to critique the writer because Eve is, is public. Eve Tushnet wrote the article, but I would say the process of whoever Eve's editors were, whoever this process was, I was not, it was not really clear to me that they were going to reach out to Dr. Bob. So it was actually like rather traumatic and I don't fault Eve for this. I'm not resentful. But I didn't know that Bob was going to have a chance to respond. I think that was naive of me because I know now in journalistic, in the journalistic world, like if you make allegations of somebody, they they should get a rightful way to respond. And maybe that's just America Magazine having integrity, journalistic integrity. But I was blindsided by it. And obviously, like he, you know, he did what I think you called um, gaslighting, where he he I I, I talked I talked about these things, and he says. It's really sad when people politicize the issue. Like I'm being like some gay agenda political, you know, uh, A, I'm politicizing the issue and B, I'm acting out of my woundedness, yeah. which is sort of like, oh, I guess I got to go back to one more goddamn retreat by Dr. Bob to yeah. get healed of yeah. this stuff so that I could realize he's right because yeah. $50,000 yeah. in 10 fucking years isn't enough. Like, yeah. sorry, people yeah. listening. There's a lot of anger here. Now that aside, let me take a breath and realize <laughs> like if I saw Dr. Bob today, I would not treat him that way. I would not talk with him that way. I think there'd be a lot of longing and pain in our eyes. We would probably sit down and have a meal and I would really try to share my heart with him. And he would probably share his heartbreak of, of, of him thinking that I'm living, you know, um, a destitute life, you know? Um, and I am grieved that even though I just went on my spiel, I'm grieved that like Dr. Bob and I knew each other very well. And we haven't really talked since I fell away. And then now all of a sudden we're arguing on America magazine. Yeah. That's a yeah. really weird experience. Yeah. And that is not how I want to have dialogue with the people on sort of the other side of this issue. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. one of the reasons why I haven't written much. That's one of the reasons yeah. why I don't go on that many podcasts is because I, I having these debates publicly, like it's just very difficult to have that nuance, you know, yeah. that you would have if you were sitting together in person. I know? mean, yeah. I mean, I would also say, you know, just from my own experience of having to you know, manage challenging relationships. Whereas, you know, if I've made different choices in my life or chosen to identify in different ways, you know, having people who are like deeply enmeshed in kind of this conservative-ish Catholic world, you know, having a dialogue can be so challenging. And I thought was what was really striking about that piece and the response was that, you know, you kind of get this like opportunity to share the ways that you've been harmed 
and why you've landed in a different place now. And then the response that you get isn't actually a response. It's a therapizing of you. And it's a therapizing of you in a way that almost kind of presents you as this deeply deluded person. And what you need in order to overcome your delusion is another dose of what they're selling. Yeah. Well, I experienced like, so Dr. Bob, his, 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 you know, sort of prodigy apprentice that used to be my best friend. I mean, I was a groomsman in this guy's wedding. Right. So this is like real personal here that him and I are very close friends. I distinctly remember after coming out, sitting down for breakfast, this is the last time this friend and I really had a discussion about this. I've only seen him one time at a wedding since then. So him and I sit down at breakfast. This is my friend who's Bob's apprentice. And I essentially, you know, tell him I've come out, I'm dating. And I try to say like, you know, my life is so much better now. I'm so much more integrated. And then he talks about how he's like nervous that I'm going to get HIV and AIDS and all this oh. crazy, and I don't know, politicized, but like, that's the script he's been sold that I'm like yeah. off to being a man eater and go get HIV and yeah. AIDS and, you know, yeah. and as opposed to like and... making risky choices while you're going through that therapy and in that world. Right. Oh and my the gosh. Great, the great irony is that actually there's there, you know, based on your story, there's, there's actually a lot higher chance of that happening while you were in that world, because that's what yes. was happening. Oh yeah. If we want to do it aside, I mean, the theology, the, the theology around confession and mortal sin and the gay lifestyle, all these things is, is if you do something bad and you say you're sorry and you swear to never do it again, right? Like that's called contrition. You have to make a resolution never to sin. The act of contrition talks about that. As long as you say you're sorry, you never go back. And you swear it off, like you can be forgiven. But if you make a willful decision to put yourself in the near occasion of sin in an ongoing way, that's a graver sin. Mm. So as long as I say, I'm sorry, I can live this like sort of so-called celibate Catholic life. And I'm hooking up with maybe one guy every two months, one guy every 60 days doesn't sound like a lot, but that's six guys a year times five years. That's 30 men, right? Like, let's just say it's that or even more. As long as I say, I'm sorry after each one, that's fine right? I should never really talk about sexual health or go to a sexual health clinic or, you know, take medicines that are going to prevent HIV because that's me consenting to a lifestyle of sin. So what ends up happening is you have these anonymous one-off experiences with strangers Mm -hmm. rather than living in a committed monogamous commitment with somebody that you dearly love that's integrated. Um, That is the greater sin. And I, I distinctly remember having a discussion with a priest friend of mine that's like, you know, you know, by doing this, like you're, you're in much graver state of sin. And I'm like, father, so-and-so do you, do you realize the life I was living? Like, I don't think you realize how bad it was for me when you thought I was a good Catholic single guy. And he was like, well, it's, it's, you know, at least you're a sinner striving for holiness. Yep. Yep. You know, I, I thought, I've thought had the same exact thought, you know, with a lot of, you know, I mean, I've had a lot of my relationships with Catholic friends change. um, And I've like lost some friendships and I, you know, one of the things that I often think is, you know what? A lot of my Catholic friends were a lot happier with me when I was secretly hooking up. I don't know. There's a real dark side to this world that I think a lot of people don't like talk about or realize. Yeah. 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 And what it looks like in the priesthood is you're a priest and you're gay and maybe you have a sexual partner or whatever. And like you go on a cruise once or twice a year with another priest friend and y'all end up splitting a room. And I'm like, are y'all in a, like a secretly gay relationship as a priest, but it's fine because it's on a cruise where nobody knows you. I mean, there's ways that these poor guys are trying to get their needs met because they're, you know, they joined priesthood 20 years ago and they never had the privileges that I had of coming out and, and being married. Um, but like, that's the life that like is preferred in some ways by the Catholic church's pastoral approach is that these priests are living that life where they're, 
getting their fix on cruises or they're cruising, yeah, <laughs> pun, yeah. you know, pun intended, you know, on, on a sexual hooking up app or a website or something like that. Or God forbid, it's even more insidious where they have developed a relationship with the young seminarian that stays with them over the summer, yeah. you know, and they're sharing a rectory and they're sharing a bathroom. And now I'm in like some rated R Hulu film about like, you know, like I'm yeah. getting in a really steamy nature here, but like, yeah. That is the life I lived. Like that was the life that I was headed towards. This is not some far off concept. This is not some Hulu series. Like this shit happens every single day in the Catholic church. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and, and it wasn't the life that you necessarily had to be going towards, right? It was a life that was kind of constructed for you in this yeah. really bizarre way. Yeah. And yeah. Sorry to put a ball on that. that. That is a life that the Catholic church sort of prefers and the people the church prefer, because mm-hmm. if some priest were to leave the priesthood and come out as gay, that is a much greater scandal and that is a much greater sin. Mm-hmm. Right. And so these men are like in, in commitments of celibacy that they're not able to uphold. Like I was thinking like, why well, could I couldn't leave the priesthood and be laicized. Mm-hmm. And what about all of my family and friends that are looking up to me? And what about this parish that I have? And, yeah. you know, um, so you keep pushing it down because coming out and being gay and partnered is like, you know, the all time mortal sin. Yeah. Whereas they're like, continuing these really really like duplicitous lives that are in some ways much more painful and toxic and these are good men like i'm not i'm trying to judge or or damn them or condemn them you know yeah um so i don't know we we got distracted but i I think i can't remember what we were talking about before about um whatever it's fine we're just just hitting all the the topics yeah 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 well i mean i don't know so kind of looking back to your younger self you know, like that, that kind of like ended up in that world. I mean, what, what, what do you think that younger you like really needed? Or if you, you know, like met that younger you today, like what would you, what would you tell him or recommend or do to help? Um, so much of my therapy was inner child work, um, healing the inner child, healing the child within. So I've legitimately, it's, 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 I can hypothesize what I would tell my younger self, but much spent hours in therapy yeah. actually talking to my younger self, right? And yeah. um, lovingly talking to uh, my nickname growing up was Chrisers. You know, my <laughs> name was Christopher and Chris, and so Chrisers. And so I, I talked for years to Chrisers yeah. um, about, you know, that it's okay to like Britney Spears. <laughs> it's okay to sing to Celine Dion and Shania Twain, all yeah. that stuff yeah. that I thought I had to stop, you know, yeah. the Chrisers that got the, in sync self-titled album in third grade and just like yeah, devoured yeah. it, you know, and wanted yeah. to learn all the dance moves, but then was so afraid that like, mm-hmm. that's not manly enough and that's yeah. gay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a lot of it. It's just like the affections of my heart as a young man were very innocent, yeah. right? It wasn't this disordered gay agenda, selfishly taking advantage of other people's sin that yeah. I eventually thought gayness was. It was just yeah. me being a little queer kid that liked yeah. certain things. Yeah. Straight people could have liked the, the same things. I'm just just generalizing here. And so a lot of it is just that, like if, and when I adopt kids and have kids of my own, which I very much plan to do. Um, and they, they come of age where they have certain affections or inclinations, Yeah, you know, like talk to them, ask them how they feel, but like have that, that, that virtue-based ethic of like loving the other person, do no harm. Like, it's not like I've thrown away ethics, right? Like my ethics are just not within a, a binary of heterosexuality yeah um you know the sexual ethic maybe has changed but like all the other ethics about treating people right and and consent and kindness you know um and the fruits of the spirit like 
hopefully my my words are still Catholic enough that people aren't selling me out as a crazy <laughs> living, right? Um, but it's been a while since I've I've used those words as much. But yeah, right? like yeah, so yeah, yeah. No, I mean it sounds like a lot of what you would tell your younger self. It's just it's just okay. You're fine, you know. I think it's yeah, it's interesting because you know so much of what we do and like we were as kids it was fine and then like there in some way like all of those things got charged and became not okay and then kind of just became like the foundation of a life of weird insecurities that come out sideways yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and i'd say now that i'm you know openly gay i'm in a relationship with a man like it's committed we go to church on sundays like we want to live on a cul-de-sac and adopt kids and like, grow <laughs> own food it's all the stuff i wanted to do had i been super catholic and been with a woman you know, I mean, you can't afford to adopt 10 kids. Like you could just have 10 kids with the Catholic life. But like, I, I'm smiling really big now. I hope it's coming through in the podcast because so much of these desires that I had, um, I've thank thank God, like, you know, God has brought me somebody that had a lot of the same culture growing up as me with those same desires. And, and we find each other now and um, we're letting our inner child sort of run free, you know, and still getting to know each other. Like, it's like, when you live in the closet for so long, you know, you don't just come out once and say, I'm gay. That's not coming out. Coming out of the closet is like, okay, so this is the closet when I was in middle school. This is what the closet looked like when I was in high school. This is the closet in my childhood. And depending on the person I'm friends with, gay or straight, mom or dad, whatever friend, I bring them into that closet and I bring out that person. I bring out the Chrisers at eight or 10 years old. I bring out the self-righteous college student, you know, <laughs> who is totally closet, you know? And being in a relationship with, with my partner, it's, it's pretty extraordinary that both of us are just constantly going through our past and every day, like opening up a new part of our closet and walking through it. Um, and I'll never leave, like the closet is always going to be there. It's a part of my life. And I, and I want to bring different people into it and see where God was working in that and see the innocent, pure child or adolescent or adult, you know, um, that was there, you know, um, that God created that that, that wants to love and, and, and be loved in the way that God intended. Um, so that's what coming out in a lot of ways is still these days and it'll continue to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I actually, think that's a great place to end that. Yeah. yeah. That's really great. Yeah. No, thanks. Thanks so much for sharing. This is, re- this is yeah. really great. Yeah. Sometimes we'll maybe have a much more positive laughable one where we get a glass of wine and we'll get to know you, the younger Chris in the closet and me <laughs> and all, the, all those fun, playful things that like, we could laugh and smile at now and be like, that wasn't, it wasn't anything wrong with that. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's heavy stuff, but it doesn't have to be heavy all the time. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks, Chris. Awesome.